This is Talkin' Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talkin' Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Blacktail Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start talking Mule Deer. This is Jody Stemmler. We are at the 2019 Western Hunting and Conservation Expo. And I'm Steve Belinda. And we have a, a great guest here with us today. We've got Brooks Hansen with Camp Chef, which is based here in Logan, Utah. Um, they're also a great supporter of the outdoor industry in general and make incredible products. So, Brooks, thank you. Hey, I'm glad to be here. This is a, an interesting and intriguing show. I always enjoy coming down. There's just so much to see. But the, the important part is what's done for conservation here. And we always like to help and support and, and see what we can do because... Uh, on the end, everybody that comes to the show is our consumers, and we want them to go out and have fun in the field and then have even more fun at home cooking it. So Absolutely. Yeah. Now, you guys donate a lot of product to the, the general raffle here, right? Yeah. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, if you head over to the silent auction area, um, there's there's lots of products that you can you can bid on, and uh, hopefully all those, uh, those bids get driven up high, so all that money can go back to conservation and, and help out great organizations like this. So... So yeah, there's um, a couple pellet grills over there. There's some um, some backpacking stoves and uh, some camp ovens and just a bunch of product that uh, that we donate here to to help build what cool. was being built. So we want to talk about the products, but first let's hear a little bit about you, Brooks Hansen. About so me? Well, I'm you nothing, live in Utah. <laughs> I do live in Utah. So, you, this, but you're a big mule deer hunter, and that's kind of well, right. When I, you when you live in Utah and you grow up on a farm. You have to hunt mule deer. It's just well, and you get those alfalfa-fed mule deer, so they're well, tender too. So, so true, but we never had the alfalfa field or deer down in our fields. We had a few in the cornfields at like late year, like they'd move down when the snow would come. Until like when I was growing up, we didn't have any of that. Until about maybe five, six years ago, it seems like a lot of the deer were kind of pushing down into the lower lands, and they were out eating in the alfalfa fields. But most of the mule deer hunting that I did growing up was. Uh, on horseback, we had a special spot that was our family spot, and we would uh, we would either pack in um, the night before, or we would um, camp at the trailhead, and then get up at three, four in the morning, and we'd ride six to eight miles in on horseback to get set up on on the ridge that we always. Uh, do you still go hunt. back in there to hunt? I do. Yeah. We do. Yeah. Um, I'd say the last three years we haven't been in it as often. Might only make it in there once or twice. Uh, we used to go up and spend uh, the, pretty much the whole week. We wouldn't spend the whole week in there, um, but we would hunt it pretty much for the whole week. So, oh, cool. So, yeah, wow. we were chasing the high mountain mule deer in the in the high alpine areas, and uh, I have a lot of good memories of chasing mule deer in uh, what where, I... Where was that? I mean, that I know here in Utah. Yeah, it was like in northern Utah, so Logan, Utah. Oh, yeah. I grew up in Smithfield, Utah. Okay. Um, on, a, on a dairy farm there, and uh, we would uh, go up Logan Canyon. Mm -hmm. And uh, up that canyon, we had a place that we'd always go hunt. And, uh, yeah, that's where, that's where it was. Now, isn't that where they've had some real hard winters in the past 10, where they've actually had to feed some deer down yeah, there? Yeah, they right? feed yeah. a lot of deer down there. In fact, the, the MDF has done a great job. And, um, and how's it looking this year? This year is, has actually been pretty good. It's a, I think we're going to have a harder winter this year than we had last year. Last year, we got not near the amount of snow. Two years ago was a really harsh winter. You could walk the winter range and, and count a lot of uh, dead yearlings, yeah. mm. which was really frustrating as a you know somebody that enjoys to get out and hunt. You hate to see that. Um, that was two years ago. Last year in uh, twenty, the winter of twenty eighteen um, was a pretty good mild winter. So there wasn't a lot of snow on the on the benches, 
so the the deer did fairly well this year. Um, there's a lot of snow. Up there's there a lot of year. snow. We've got you know upwards of three to four feet on the benches. It's forcing the deer down low. But I've seen a really healthy deer population on our foothills. Oh, that's good. That's really good. So what? So you've been hunting that same area now for quite a long time. I know there's been some changes in the way Utah's managed their their yeah. mule deer and their bucks. So how? What are the changes you've seen? Is it is it positive, negative? So. When I grew up hunting, there's, um, yeah, I'd say it's positive. I'm starting to see a lot more, more deer, and I, I'm just over the years watching how just the allocation of tags was kind of distributed. That's a general unit, um, and it's now a general draw where you used to could just go buy a tag right over the counter, and it didn't know matter how many. It was just an over-the-counter hunt. You also could hunt all three weapons. You could hunt uh, an, an ar- with archery equipment, or you could hunt with a muzzleloader. You could hunt with a rifle. And you could only kill one deer. I remember when it was you could kill three um, bucks a year and hunt one with each. You had a tag for each um, weapon, and you could kill three. That's when I was really young. I remember yeah. my dad, we'd go out and archery hunt, and he had an archery tag, and go out in the muzzleloader hunt, and he had a muzzleloader tag. Go out in the rifle hunt, and he had a rifle tag. And then they limited it to, I can't remember what year it was, but you could hunt all three, but you could only harvest one buck deer. And then shortly after that, it was you had to pick your weapon. So you had to pick if you were going to hunt with a with a rifle, with archery tackle, or with a muzzleloader, um, and you just basically had to say, "All right, here's my fall. Which which weapon do I want to use this year?" And then shortly after that, they developed to which I I really enjoy. It's the um, the uh, dedicated hunter program in the state of Utah, which um, allows a hunter to apply for that dedicated hunter tag. You can hunt all three weapons. But you can only harvest um, one buck or two buck deer in a three-year period, and it's a three. When you draw that tag, it lasts for three years, hmm. and you can hunt all three weapons, but only kill two buck deer within that three-year period. Okay. Um, but the caveat to that is you also have to um, give back to um, conservation, so you have to put in service hours. So in order to be part of that, you once you draw the tag which it's a pretty much, in our area, about 100% draw rate for hmm. that uh, general dedicated hunter tag. Um, you've then got to put in 16 hours of community service towards conservation. That with You work with the Division of Wildlife. They have several projects, whether it's putting in guzzlers, whether it's um, repairing fences, whether it's mapping weeds. and There's a lot of different projects, um, different wildlife refuges that you can go work at and, and just put in your volunteer hours. Um, there's a lot of different things you can do. So... Um, You put in 16 hours the first year, um, eight hours the next year, and then eight hours the next year. It's a total of 32 hours in a three-year period. You probably find yourself giving a lot more than those 32 (laughs) mandatory hours. Yes, yes, especially working in the outdoor industry. I just, I love to be out and be involved. And anything that we can do to help, to help our sport, so to speak, um, I'm going to do it. Right. So you're a Utah boy, and now you work for a Utah company, uh, Camp Chef. Now, I remember... My family had a, we've talked about this, we had a Camp Chef, the double burner camp stove, not not the tabletop, the, 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 the large size propane tank. When I was a kid, my parents still have that and absolutely love it. And, and your product line, you continue to have those, you're improving on those, but you're adding new things yeah. like your, your pellet grill. So tell me a little bit about some of your cool new products. So Camp Chef's been around for almost 30 years. Um, we were founded in Logan, Utah on the concept that there had to be a better way. So the previous owner of our company, who has, he um, has now retired and sold the company two years ago, but we're still operating as if he was still there every day. Um, he went and had to feed about 35 Boy Scouts. <laughs> and they were hungry, and they were probably driving him crazy. 
and uh, <laughs> he couldn't cook the food fast enough on um, was like a small suitcase, little, yep, little, little gas stove. Yeah, yep. tabletop stove. And he thought, well, this is ridiculous. There's got to be a better way. And so he started looking at options, and he couldn't find any. So he said, fine, I'll build my own. And that's what uh, come from that was our original Pro 60 two-burner stove, which yep. is a heavy steel stove. With I a think we probably got ours 30 years probably. ago. Probably. So. <laughs> 30,000 30, BTU burners on I just burners. got mine a few years ago, and that's what I use now yeah. for the main stove. So, so this is funny. Um, my, my father's original two-burner stove that he got 28 years ago is one of the originals, um, still has it, and it still burns today. In fact, I, I brought it into work just so we could kind of mess around <laughs> with it. And, Look uh, at our roots. And, you know, it's, it's a really good thing because the, the products were built to last and yeah. last yeah. forever. And maybe that's kind of a bad thing because then we don't sell as many, right? So Well, you always need something else. And that's one of the things that the cool things that I've seen you guys doing recently yeah. as well is it's not just the two burner so, yeah. stove or the three burner, but there's attachments exactly. and things that you can put on. So yeah, they're 100% modular. If you uh, you got your stove and you got your heat source, so now you can start to accessorize. Everybody likes accessories. Yeah, so I do the skillet on one half to do breakfast and other yeah. stuff and then do the, the, the burner on the other side to oh, get no, the no. big pot of coffee These going, are like... So pizza ovens oh i've seen oh, them yeah but yeah. i don't you know that yeah, yeah i gotta I mean, rough it a little bit while i'm out there <laughs> why why yeah so whether you're boiling a pot of corn you're canning in the fall you're doing a big pancake breakfast like you mentioned boiling a cotta pot or boiling a pot of coffee or maybe the grill box the grill box is a really popular accessory because now you can have a flame broiled burger or steaks or chicken pork chops whatever it may be um, while you're at camp so i mean camp chef was a staple to our hunting camp growing up and it's really something that you just, whether we went camping or hunting, if we were in the RV or a tent, we had to have good cookware, and that's what we used. Now, well, as, an, as an employee, you get the product test, all this stuff, right? You're oh, out yeah. in the parking lot, yeah, you're out there, you know. That's a key component. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's but, a key but component. So burn restrictions that we have now, having the ability to do a grill of that nature or something yes. like that with your same camp stove, that's a, that's a great thing yep. for hunters and, and yep. people that are going up into these areas that, that they can't start a fire or yep. they were used to do for, for campfires to cook their, their meat. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When there's burn restrictions in the drier climates and the drier areas, uh, the propane-controlled fire is, is usually acceptable. I'd advise you to check the local listings. Sure. But from there, we just branched out. I mean, our, our model is the way to cook outdoors. We say anything from the backcountry to the back patio, we make cook gear for that. So let's say that you harvest your deer in the backcountry or you harvest the deer on the, the gravel road out, out up one of your canyons or fields or wherever it is you're hunting. Um, you gotta, you got to do something with that animal after it's harvested. You can't just look at it. Nothing happens. So that's where Camp Chef really comes to play. And our, our line of pellet grills is just blown up and done really well. And it, to be honest with you, it's the best way to cook anything. So the pellet grills, tell, explain yeah, us so how that works because it's a, you can do a grill and flame grill, but yeah. then it smokes too, Yeah, right? so something unique about our pellet grills, we do have slide and grill technology, which slides the heat diffuser plate from that fire pot. You've got pellets fed by an auger into a fire pot. So your heat source is wood. And that's where you're getting all that flavor is, is that it's true wood-fired flavor. And it adds moisture to your meat, believe it or not, even though you think, you know, heat is going to dry stuff off. But that's why all these people that smoke and do all these um, elaborate cooking, they're using wood. That wood flavor and fire really is what infuses that into the meat or the protein or vegetables, whatever it is you're cooking. And so, yeah, that's a wood heat source. So you can, on our models, pull the, the slide, uh, slide and grill out, which moves that heat diffuser plate that takes it from convection-style smoking 
to direct flame grilling. We also have a patent ash cleanout system on all of our pellet grills. And then we've also uh, built a side burner. Basically, um, the burner that's on your two burner stove has been incorporated into a sidekick that mounts to the side of your pellet grill. So now there's nothing that you can't cook with that one unit. Whether you want to smoke, bake, grill, you've got it. Whether you want to boil a pot of water or make a sauce on a skillet, maybe you want to um, can in the summer. That way, with one patio unit, you can do everything. So that's that's new. That's what we say from the cool. back country, the back patio, from backpacking stoves, and then a full line of cast iron. Yeah, I've become a, a fond lover of cast iron cooking. Um, nothing better than a 10-inch skillet. That's one of my staples. Yeah. So, yeah. Except for when your family washes them with too much detergent Uh-oh. and gets the seasoning off <laughs> hey, them, and it takes. I've you know. got something for you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> We, we've got some cast iron conditioner that will bring that back. So when I cook with it at home or my wife cooks with it, she won't clean it anymore because she's been read the riot act about <laughs> using too harsh a detergent on and, and brush on a patina that took years to, to get to that to build, point. Yeah. So, so we do uh, make a cast iron conditioner yeah. and a cast iron cleaner. I actually have it. I have the spray it, stuff that I put yep. on, and, and it's great. It gets treated after every yep. time. But what's funny is, is when we use, do use it, it sits and she won't touch it anymore. So, <laughs> you know, and if, you know, it's just one of those things that I guess that's what a happy marriage is about. Is about. I was going to say so. that may be a bigger statement about what you need to do to help around the house, Steve. <laughs> I tend to be hard on some things. Yeah. And so that's one thing that I can be hard on and not ruin. Yeah. So what's your favorite piece of Camp Chef gear oh, to take geez. when you go up into the mountains when you're, when you're hunting? When I'm hunting. So. I like to eat well. I mean, you can tell, right? <laughs> Don't <So> we all? <laughs> so I will, like a staple for me would be um, a Pro 60 stove. So a two burner stove with some accessories. So a grill box and a griddle. That way I can do everything. So if I'm up in the hills at a, at a car camping place where I can drive to, that's where I'm taking. Because, you know, the Pro 60 stove is probably a little big to be packing into yeah. a, mm-hmm. a horse camp. Um, we do have an aluminum mountain series stove that's got 20,000 BTU burners that's Super light. I had it in the backcountry of Alaska this year. I had it the backcountry of Yellowstone on on a llama trip this year, and it packs <laughs> easy. And um, that one stove, I think we put uh, probably 220 miles on packing and cooking for nice. various people and friends and family. So it makes the evenings a lot better when you can come back to a, a, yeah. a warm meal and the mornings have a hot cup of coffee. And well, what I've always said, and it's probably false because most things I say are false. I guess. <laughs> but, But, well, I I firmly believe this is, uh, you know, you can't control the weather and you can't control the harvest. You don't know how your day is going to go because that's why it's hunting. Same goes with fishing. Any outdoor experience, you don't know if you're going to shoot that big buck or that young buck or whatever it is. That You know, you can't control that. And you don't know if it's going to rain or snow. But there's one thing that you can control, and that's how you eat. And... uh, and if you don't eat good, that's your fault. Yeah. So, so my test or my take is when you when you head to the backcountry. What's your favorite recipe to make when back you're back? Well, eat well. My favorite recipe. Oh wow. Um, so, growing up on a farm, I'm kind of a meat and potatoes guy, which I get made fun of. I've had to really um, broaden my scope of food and become a culinary expert in the last six or seven years as I've been a camp chef. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I really, really enjoy a backstrap, as everybody does. Yeah. Um, that's one of my favorite uh, meals to make. And then uh, um, I like the tough cuts of meat, and I like to do them low and slow. I like to take shanks. That's one of my favorites. I 
collected shanks at multiple uh, hunting camps this year where I kept them on the bone. They were some uh, antelope shanks. Also buco. Yeah, also, yep. Also buco with a little bit of noodles and uh, um, top it off with a little bit of parsley. But I basically, I take uh, the shanks and I roll them in flour and, and I brown them in a, in a skillet, get them really hot and just brown the edges, a little bit of oil, and then I drop them in a pot. I drop them in a pot with some stock. And in that pot is some carrots and some celery and some onions and some rosemary and a little bit of thyme. And I just let them do their thing on a low simmer for about six to eight hours. And then you can just grab that, that bone with those shanks on there, pull it out on a plate of noodles, and my goodness. The mm, bone marrow is awesome, good. too. And those are the cuts of meat that most people throw away or yeah. grind into burger. And there's, there's so much you can do with it. Well, I'm guilty of that. But I, I like burger. I we eat a lot of burgers. So I, you know, and I'm not saying burger's bad because you know what? Burger's great for tacos. It's yeah. great for chili. There's a need for it. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, there's a need for burger. And I'm not discouraging that. I'm just saying there's, there's also other things you can do. Yeah. So do you, do you find, you know, granted a lot of folks that, that are sportsmen and outdoors people use your product. Do you find that it also has appeal to urbanites or folks that live tailgates. in you know, <laughs> yeah, tailgating in cities? And I can imagine, like the modular system you described, you put on a uh, a back porch in uh, you know in a city somewhere, and they, they they could you wouldn't have to have a big smoky grill. You got everything right there. Absolutely, we've developed a new Versatop that's for that exact the urban liver, the guy that's living in New York City in a studio apartment that has a patio that's. Literally two square feet. Um, we've got a little flat top grill that runs on a one pound propane tank, the green one. So it's, uh, you know, works for that area or up to their uh, their codes at their apartment buildings. And it's also modular. You can put the other accessories on it. It's lightweight. It's little. It, it works for that exact uh, um, demographic. So, cool. So, yeah, I mean, th- we've really grown in the back patio industry. Like or the back patio scene, we've really well, and you see your product in a lot of the major big box stores and retailers yeah. and everything else. So you're appealing to a real broad yeah. audience and consumer base. So. Well, and it's certainly a great story. It a local is. company, local founder, you know, somebody, and that's now reaching the level that you are across. Yeah. It's it's a brand name that people recognize. Yeah, and we and we hope so. I mean, we we try real hard. We're really proud of what we've done. So, and. More importantly, it brings smiles to people's face. I mean, if you go as far back in time as we can think of, the you know, what did cavemen do? They, they shared a meal together. Yeah. Yeah. They, fire and food is what brought them together. And so that's really what we've tried to elaborate on is fire and food and having a good time, coming to an expo, going hunting, whatever it is, we're going to go enjoy a meal together. Yeah. Now, you guys, um, you sponsor Scott Laysath, and I understand that you guys are going on a hunt coming up. Yeah, Scott. Kind of an interesting one, not Scott's a deer hunt. <laughs> Scott's a good friend. I wouldn't give him too much credit for <laughs> Everything he He's learned, he learned from me, yes. He, well, I taught him how to cook. Right. He's been doing it for like 30 <laughs> years. I've been doing it for five, so he learned from me. <laughs> no, he's he's a great guy. Um, the Sporting Chef, it's a TV show on the Sportsman's Channel. He's got a, a good social following. He's at lots of trade shows. Just educating people on what to do with their wild game so it doesn't get thrown away. Uh-huh. And uh, there's just so many good things that you can do with fishing game to make it taste really good, and uh, yeah, so that's what uh, our involvement with Scott and he's a wild game chef that needs something to cook on, so it's a natural fit for yeah, us. But, but but you're going to Hawaii. We are. We're gonna go to. <laughs> we're gonna go to Hawaii. Cat's out of the bag now. Um, he's also got a TV show called Dead Meat where they cook and eat the things that most people wouldn't touch, like maybe armadillo or nutria or 
snakeheads or <laughs> random weird things. And so he did some research. He contacted me um, last November and said, hey, do you want to go to Hawaii with me? I got an open spot. And I said, well, sure. I don't want to sit on a beach with <laughs> Can you. Can I bring my wife? <laughs> <laughs> Is this a proposition, Scott? <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so, yeah, he invited me, and we're going to go out, and uh, evidently they have a major infestation of feral cows. So, and the locals uh, try to harvest as many as they can, and they cook them in various ways. And they're not, it's not grass-fed beef. It's not corn-fed beef. It's fern-fed beef. Fern-fed. Beef. And so evidently. I would imagine that's quite a delicate flavor. So, I mean, I, evidently <laughs> it's very interesting, and, and the locals really know what to do with it. So, we're going to go learn and see how they do that. So, um, in the late 1700s, the, I believe it was the king of. Um, Kamehameha. Of uh, Australia gifted the king of Hawaii the like uh these bulls and a couple cows and they've since developed into a large herd in the last uh, hundreds of years and now it's a nuisance and they're feral and they're wild and they try to manage the population and so it's a it's a great storyline for dead meat so is that on is that on the big island yeah okay well yeah yeah the big island Kona. yeah so it's probably fairly high elevation hunt yeah, I, I just got the paperwork. We're actually leaving, leaving next week, and uh, it looks like we'll be hunting around 7,500 to 8,000 wow. feet. Well, and they've been getting, as we talk, they've been getting snowstorms. Snow, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the one island I've been to in Hawaii was a big island. It's a fascinating yeah. place, but I think it would be really cool to go hunt cows. We just hope that they would run away from you and wouldn't stand there yeah. and, you know, <laughs> look at you like some of our domestic exactly. cows. We'll exactly. Uh, we'll have to see. It's going to take a big weapon to kill a bull. Yeah. Oh, uh, sure. Well, we really appreciate your time, Brooks, here today. Um, if, if anybody has not heard of or does not have Camp Chef materials, what would be the one thing to start your addiction to Camp Chef? Oh, gear? wow. Wow. Well, I'd like to say a pellet grill, but that's going to be a higher-priced <laughs> item. We do have some, some more cost-effective ones. Our Pursuit Portable one is, I think that's one item to have on the packed patio. But uh, I would say uh, probably the two-burner stove. Yep. As much as I'd like you to start with the pellet grill, which I wouldn't be, the two-burner stove is probably going to be the most effective and efficient way for you to enjoy hunt camp, even a little more. Very good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Where can they get information about Camp Chef? Um, I go to campchef.com. That's okay. uh, campchef.com. There's all kinds of recipes and tips and tricks. and Great um, some videos, some too. Some videos yeah. there. There's product line you can look through and see, and then follow us on social media. I mean, we're on all kinds of social avenues as far as Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Outstanding. All, the, right. all the good things. Well, thanks for joining us here at uh, the 2019 Hunt Expo, and uh, we appreciate it. We love your product, and uh, hope you have a good time down in Hawaii. Yeah, thanks for yeah, having Brooks, me. Let us know how that goes. We look forward to watching the show, and uh, we'll cook some fern-fed ribeyes. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Fern-fed. I'm interested to hear how fern-fed. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, this is Jody Stemler. And I'm Steve Belinda. Thanks for listening, and thank you for talking mule deer. Thanks for talking mule deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talking Mule Deer.